Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Not somewhere around there, but we will start at verse 1. Amen. 2 Kings 7. Verse number one, starting here this evening. <clears throat> Pardon my voice just a little bit. I'm still trying to get through, get over, whatever. Amen. But all is well. Then Elisha said, Hear ye the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, Tomorrow about this time shall a measure of fine flour be sowed for a shekel, two measures of barley for a shekel. In the gate of Samaria. Then a Lord on whose hand the king leaned answered the man of God and said, Behold, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, might this thing be? And he said, Behold, thou shalt see it with thine eyes, but shalt not eat thereof. And there were four leprous men at the entering in of the gate. And they said one to another, Why sit we here? until we die if we say we will enter into the city then the famine is in the city and we shall die there and if we sit still here we die also now therefore come and let us fall to the host of the Syrians they save us alive we shall live and if they kill us we shall but die and they rose up the twilight to go into the camp of the Syrians and when they were come to the uttermost part of the camp of Syria behold there was no man there for the Lord had made the host of the Syrians to hear a noise of chariots and a noise of horses even the noise of a great host and they said one to another lo the king of Israel hath hired against us the kings of the Hittites the kings of the Egyptians to come upon us Wherefore they arose and fled in the twilight and left their tents and their horses and their asses, even the camp as it was, and fled for their life. And when these lepers came to the uttermost part of the camp, they went into one tent and did eat and drink and carried then silver and gold and raiment and went and hid it, and came again and entered into another tent and carried thence also and went and hid it. Then they said one to another, We do not well. This day is a day of good tidings. We hold our peace. If we tarry till the morning light, some mischief will come upon us. Now, therefore, come that we may go and tell the king's household. Amen. Tonight, I, the help of the Lord, I want to just relay, amen, this, this message here this evening simply called this. The hardship of satisfaction. The hardship of satisfaction. It almost seems like an oxymoron of a phrase, but the hardship of satisfaction. Father, I come to you this evening, and I'm grateful once again to be able to, Lord, grace, Lord, this, this pulpit, God, and this platform, God, with the responsibility, Lord, to speaking the word of the Lord. God, a word that 
is alive, a word that is alive, a word that can divide the bone from the marrow. It's the discerner, the very intense God of our thoughts and of our heart. I pray, O oh Lord, today, God, you're able to speak something to us, God, through your word. God, we're able to glean from your word today. Apply it, God, where, God, it is needed. And, and Lord, grow better by it and mature, God, by it. God, for the apostle said that we grow thereby, this word. And so, God, cause it, Lord, to help us, Lord, in our growth and our relationship with you. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen. And the church say amen. Amen. You may be seated this evening. Look at your neighbor and say the hardship of satisfaction hardship of satisfaction call it what you may whenever you begin to speak about satisfaction perhaps another term that we could use for the word satisfaction would be complacency complacency is the enemy of our soul spiritual satisfaction can lead us to a place of spiritual poverty Spiritual complacency can lead us to a place of spiritual hardship. Our own spiritual complacency sometimes keeps men from striving toward greater places from where they currently are or higher heights in the kingdom of God that are yet obtainable. Complacency can cause a person to reach a certain level and grow satisfied and comforted at the level they are, not desire to proceed any further because their surroundings and environment to them is fine just as is. Spiritual satisfaction may lead to a type of spiritual paralysis that will over time do nothing but weaken the soul until to a certain degree it may become useless just because we got accustomed to what we considered was the norm. Spiritual satisfaction may even be considered a vice that we must, and I emphasize tonight, we must fight against every single day of our lives, every single service of our lives. Abraham Lincoln was quoted as saying, failure is not a crime, but a low aim is just being satisfied with the average. An anonymous individual said, indifference never wrote great works, nor thought out striking inventions, nor reared the solemn structure that awes the soul, nor breathed solemn sublime music, nor painted glorious pictures, nor undercook, nor undertook heroic giving. All these things were born of great zeal and were done with much heart. Another man said, nothing for preserving the body like having no heart. You want to preserve the object, just have no heart. There, there has to be a refusal in the heart of men and women not just on the physical plane, but upon the spiritual plane, the refusal in the heart of men and women to allow life just to stuff you into a place of complacence. Going on just a little further. There are some things that create a sense of spiritual complacency for men and women. Sometimes it may be through the vein of insurmountable odds, feeling like they're up against something that they cannot overtake. 
Other times it may be overwhelming losses have lost much and lost many times that sometimes can cause a person to say, what use is it? I'll just be satisfied with what I have. No sense in attaining anymore because just as soon as you do that, you may subject yourself to a loss just around the corner. Complacency might be in the form of entrapment in the past, just somehow locked in to a past life or perhaps fear of the future. Fear of the unknown many times has caused a person to be crippled in going on just a little bit further. The Bible says contentment with basically earthly goods is the mark of a saint. But contentment with our spiritual state, our spiritual state, is a mark, if you will, of a mind and a soul that has inward blindness that's a part of their life. The Bible says in Philippians 3 and verse 13, The apostle says, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. He said, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. The apostle Paul knew of what he spoke of. He could have very easily been lulled into the place of satisfaction into the place of complacency had he met insurmountable odds you better believe it if you were to read his portfolio of a night and a day he had spent in the deep how he had been beat several times 40 stripes saved one if you spoke about how he was left for death and in peril by his own brethren and in peril of the sea if you read all that he had insurmountable odds did he have overwhelming losses You better believe he suffered much loss in his life. Could he be entrapped by his past? Absolutely. And as we spoke this morning, many people try to entrap him there. Could he be fearful for his future? Yes. But in all that, Paul said this. He said, I still got to press on. I still got to go onward. I can't grow complacent. I can't grow satisfied with whatever level that I have met in this life because I still see and hear a higher call that is still above me and beyond me. And I cannot be satisfied until I trudge on a little further and see a larger portion of the light that I can see from this vantage point. Can someone say amen? amen. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 9 26 he said I therefore so run not as uncertainly so fight I not as one that beateth he said the air but I keep under my body and bring into subjection lest that by any means when I have preached to others I myself should be a, a castaway. Say folks sacrifice or when we talk about spiritual growth when we talk about going on in the kingdom of God it does not come without some form of sacrifice. It does not come without some form of agony and pain and suffering. Some of the greatest men of God have always had something on the inside of the as it would seem a hunger if you will for more of what they already had for a more greater working of the spirit if they seen blind eyes open that was great but they wanted to see the dead raised if they had an experience of God forgiving them that's great but they wanted God to forgive what was in the estimation of humanity the worst off of sinners there was something inside of them that drove a hunger for something more the old song we used to sing as a, as a chorus back in the days of hymnals was more of you. 
more of you. I have all, but what I need is more, more of you. The psalmist David said in Psalms 42 and verse 2, here is a man that is still thirsting and hungering for something more of God. He said, my soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? He had experienced God, but he said, I want to experience more of God. Moses had a meeting on the mount of God. For 40 days he was revealed several different things unto him. He had experienced the presence of God. He had veiled his face. He had come down from the mount. But when all of these glorious things were said and done in a, in a conversation with God, he said, God, he said, I want to see your glory. I'm grateful for everything that I've experienced, but I don't want to grow complacent and indifferent and satisfied just with what we have right here. I still are hung, I'm still hungering for more of you. David said in Psalm 63 and 1, O God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee, my soul thirsteth. Here it is again. Thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. To see the power. Look at David. To see thy power and thy glory. So as I've I seen in thee in thy sanctuary. David said I'm thirsting for more. In another place he says as the heart panteth after the water brooks. So panteth my soul after thee O Lord. What is that? What, are, what is this poetry that we're hearing from David? What are all these lyrics? What are all these phrases and stanzas they're the stanzas of a man that wasn't going to grow contempt where he was it was just somebody that was hungering and thirsting for more amen of what he had amen just a little bit more God and I guarantee you this if it took that type of hunger and that type of her hunger and thirst for the psalmist David it needs to be conveyed to our generation that God as the deer panteth after the water brooks so pants my soul Someone say amen. The cries of the Psalms are nothing more than the echoes of the life of David. They are very true to life because they're drawn from the stuff that life is made of. Hope and fear. Love and hate. Jubilation. Then on another hand, frustration. Faith, but also experiencing anxiety. Joy. And despair. But we find the writer of the Psalms not only experiencing a variety of these emotions and a variety of these things that we call life, he experienced these things in different places. It wasn't all joy, sometimes it was disappointment. But there's one time that our psalmist, he's, he, he is a singer that stands on the bedrock of hope, but in the next moment, he's on the quicksand of horror. On one moment, he's shouting. The next moment he's shaking. One minute he's thrilled by the faith that he has and what he's witnessed. But on the other hand, fear is knocking and threatening at his door. He's full of confidence. And at other times, he's out of fear that he just might collapse. Yet through and in all of it, whether it's his downtime or his uptime, there is a thing that rings true. Regardless, God, I need more of you. I don't just need more of you whenever I have anxiety. I don't just need more of you when I'm struck with fear. 
I don't just need more of you whenever despair is all around me. But God, when I have joy, I still need more of you. When my faith is strong, I still need more of you. When there's love and hope and jubilation in my spirit, I still need more of you. Someone say amen. See, everything that we experience in this life, all of our struggles, all of our victories, should really have a common purpose that they are working towards an end. And that end is this, that they would create inside of you and I an insatiable hunger for God. Uh An insatiable hunger for God. God's greatest, God's greatest throughout Scripture were those who had a longing for God, a longing that consumed them. A longing that occupied their mind when they woke up and as they fell to sleep. A longing that propelled them onward and upward in their lives and in their heights. Going beyond what was average because they had a longing for God. What the average didn't see, the one that was just satisfied didn't see. What the one that was complacent didn't see. That individual that was looking beyond the hills could see with his spiritual eyes a hope that was still out there, a level that was still out there, a yearning and a call of God that was still for them. Amen. Folks, that's the category I want to be a part of. I don't want to see what's, I don't want to be blinded to what's still out there because I've grown accustomed to where. I'm at or what I've experienced I want there always to be yet a hunger and yet a thirst for something that's beyond where I am at whenever I look at 2nd Kings chapter number 7 there are some principles that are relayed there in the scripture for overcoming the hardships of satisfaction for overcoming the hardships of of complacency. The setting of the text tonight is this. The area of the text here tells a very morbid story. There came a time in Israel's history when Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, surrounded Samaria. And his intent was on conquering Samaria. And you can read this in the chapter prior to the one that I read in your hearing. The city of Samaria had been overtaken by an enemy army. They had been overtaken by famine that had riveted their land. The people on the inside of the city were driven by their hunger to become cannibals, even Scripture says. That they would eat one another. And their fear had just rose so high. Amen. And the situation just grew from that point of time on. And as Ben-Hadad's army threatened from the outside, they were dying by the droves on the inside of that great capital city of Israel. Benadad had cut off all communication from the outside world. But while all of this was going on outside of the city, ostracized by the city, left to die by the city, were four measly old lepers. No doubt these four boys had stalked over the situation among themselves. And obviously it seemed pretty grim for them as well. It was certain death for them anyway that they could look at it. If they stayed where they were, death. They could go into the city, then the city for sure though they know would not allow them back in because of their condition. 
because of their leprosy. The Syrian army would evidently probably kill them if they came into their camp. And so the Bible says they asked an important question. Why sit we here until we die? The question of the hour for those four leprous boys is this. Is why should we just remain satisfied where we're at? Why should we be complacent where we currently are? Because it seems like if we move, it's death. If we stay, it's death. What do we have to lose? But what those four lepers did at that point brings us to a very important principle for overcoming complacency. And the first principle is this. It's not how sick you are, but how hungry you are. not about how sick you are it's about how hungry you are those lepers had been thrown outside of the city amen for a reason their bodies were being being just riveted with leprosy they're falling apart perhaps a finger here an ear there a nose there leprosy has taken over their body amen they're looked upon with great disdain by other people around them they were if you will ostracized they were separated isolated quarantined they were considered failures they're lepers they're outcasts they were mistakes but I want to say to you that sometimes failure and frustrations are nothing more, amen, than the ushers that God uses to bring men into their greatest destiny when they grow dissatisfied with where they are. You might remember this from years ago. The old boy said he was, I think it was, this is an old story. Years ago said there was an old boy going down the road and there was a pothole said inside the old pothole was an old frog. You may remember this, I don't know. The old boy said, what you doing down inside of that, that pothole? So oh, he said, it's so deep down here, help me. He said, it's so deep, the water's high and everything's going on. It's just horrible down here and I just can't get out of this hole, it's just too steep. And the old boy said, well, I'm on my way. I'm on my way to such and such. I'll be back later. Just got, oh, help me. It's so, it's so dark down here and it's wet and grimy and it's deep. I just can't get up out of here. And then the old boy went on to his place and came back by a little later and there was the frog sitting out there on the side of the road. That boy said, I thought it was too deep. I thought it was cold and there was no way that you could get up out of there. He said, well, while you was gone, he said, an old snake came along and got down in the hole and I just hopped on right out of there. What are you saying? A lot of times you stay where you're at. You'll stay where you're at. And you may offer complain about where you're at. But you don't do anything about where you're at. And sometimes it's got to get a little bit worse before it gets better. And whenever things get a little more uncomfortable and it seems like that, you know what, I really don't have any other alternative. If I stay here or get out, it causes us to move. It causes us to shake. It brings us into our greatest destiny. Whenever we say, hey, I'm not going to grow satisfied here. I'm not going to grow complacent. I'm going to get on up out of all this. Because of their own misfortune, God was about to bless an entire city and save them from certain death because of their misfortune. God was about ready to save an entire city. In fact, the man, listen to me, the man who has the emptiest stomach is more likely the one that's going to find a place to eat. 
I don't know what, what nation that comes out of as a proverb. Probably America. But the man that has the emptiest stomach is the one that is more likely going to find the place to eat. For that matter, don't ever eat anything that comes from a skinny cook. Amen. That really wasn't necessary. What I'm saying is this. The man who feels his sin the most is likely to be the one who seeks God and seeks after God with the most focus because he understands who he is. Those lepers could have continued and lived just like they always had lived outside the city, outside the gate, continuing in a hand-to-mouth type of function, just trying to make ends meet. But something called hunger began to stimulate them about dreaming about, I wonder what God might be able to do if we were just to go on into the Syrian army. These men did not need to take some poison. They didn't need to commit, per se, suicide. They didn't need to find a cliff to jump off of. They were already very far spent because of starvation that was upon their life. So their situation and their hunger called for immediate action. And despite their difficulties and despite of where they found themselves, they found something to work with them. You know what they said? I believe they had the attitude attitude of Proverbs 23 and 7 for as he thinketh in his heart so is he. Eat and drink saith he to thee but his heart is not with thee. Folks God has got a plan for our lives. He has a plan and because of their hunger their hunger pressed them to find out what God had waiting on them. So it really isn't about how sick you are it's about how hungry you are it's horrible, horrible condition, horrible circumstances, horrible surroundings. The odds are against you. That's not what it's all about. It's about how hungry you are. See, what the devil doesn't want us to know is that this gnawing, driving discontentment in our soul it's going to open a path for us that will cause a greater exaltation in our spiritual life if we'll just follow the hunger of the soul. And that's why the enemy hates for churches to get hungry for revival. That's why the devil hates churches to get hungry for a move of God. That's why he hates for the preacher to decide that perhaps something more can be attained than what is presently being attained. That's why the enemy hates for a crew of saints. And though they may just be the minority to start feeling like, you know what? I believe there's something beyond what we're experiencing and something beyond what we are feeling. The devil doesn't like that. He doesn't like when somebody steps outside of the hardship of satisfaction and says, I'm not satisfied right here where I'm at. Therefore, I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to be driven, pulled, and led by my hunger. Someone say amen. 
So when you start to look at the, the principle that is magnified here, it'll make you want to get up. That's what happened to the lepers. These lepers found horses. Horrible situation, sick, yes, but they were hungry. They found horses and mules, saddled them, ready for them. They, they found supper already on the table because they moved out of just where they always had been. They found spoils of war just waiting on them to be gathered up. Realize what I just said? When they got dissatisfied with being satisfied. When they got dissatisfied with being satisfied, supper was already on the table where they were heading. They didn't have to lift one finger for preparation. They, 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 they had silver and gold that was there for the taking that they took back and hid in their tent. And it would seem like there was nothing that they per se done in order to acquire all of this, yet just move from where they were. Just get up out of their complacency. Get up out of their satisfaction and go forward. I would, I would wonder tonight, I wonder what's down the road in your path and in your path and in your path. I wonder what gold and silver. I wonder what table prepared for you honey let's just get up if you will and go forward and see what God already has waiting for us just a little beyond something else that we can learn from this is that it's not how many lepers there were there was only four it's not about how many lepers there were but how united they were There were only four, but those four decided that together they could shake their world. Just a minority of the citizens of Samaria, but it was enough to break loose in a revival. <laughs> All it takes... For rain to fall after three and a half years of drought is a man to go pray again. And when he prays again, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man has ended three and a half years of drought and Someone say yes. They decide I'm not going to sit here in my misery. I'm not going to have apathy any longer. Together we're either going to live or we're going to die. Together we're either going to find food or we're going to die trying to find food. Together we're going to depend upon the Lord rather than depend upon ourselves. Together we're going to make the journey. Together, we're going to head toward the city. Together, we're going to seek out the city. Can I tell you, folks, we must, we better stop crying about what you do not have. Amen. We could talk about it all day long what we don't have. Amen. That, that will not do anything. We got to start focusing on what we've been blessed with, what I do have, the energy I do have, the unity that I do have. I got to start looking, amen, and saying, just like God asked Moses, Moses, what do you got in your hand? I got to start looking at the rod of God and give it to him and he'll give it back to me and when I get it back it's God's rod and I'm because 
zippered, dissatisfied. I'm convinced that we can together ourselves, together we can pray, together we can witness, together we can teach some home Bible studies, together we can fill up Sunday school classrooms, amen, in the back. Together, amen, we can pray for people that are on the fringe about ready to pass out the double blows. But I believe if one or two, if I don't care how many, but if I could just get a handful that would just start marching together toward the city, I believe there's some treasure troves. There's some treasure troves. There's some spoils. Another principle is it's not it's not how outlandish the method may be. But how powerful the God is. They're looking for looking for deliverance from famine. Looking for deliverance from famine. But whenever God starts working working in your behalf, it's not how difficult the dilemma is that needs to be focused on. It's how powerful that God is that needs to be focused on. They were just looking for a little food to eat. But they got a whole lot more. They got deliverance from a famine. They got delivered from their poverty. They found a new set of clothes. They found some spoils accompanying all of that. You might think, man, their method of just walking toward the city seems just a little bit wild. But was what was more wild was the action and interaction, divine interaction of their God in all of this methodology. Amen. And this, folks, is the way that it always turns out. I read through pages of Scripture from Genesis to the Revelations. This is the way that it always, always seems to turn out. You always get a whole lot more than what you anticipated when you deal with God. Always get a whole lot more than what you anticipated when you deal with God. Barnabas says, Thou son of David, have mercy upon me. He received a sight. Went beyond his expectations. Most miracles that we find in the word of God comes with that same promise. People that are seeking healing, they got mercy. People seeking sight, they got salvation. People that was seeking health, they received power. Amen. That's how God works in the lives of men. Unanticipated blessings that always seem to come with these outlandish methods. Amen. If we can just touch the hem of his garment. Whoever thought of that? But it brought healing to a woman that had an issue of blood for 12 years. Go wash the mud out of your eyes at the pool of Siloam. Methodology, that's crazy. But don't look at the method. Consider the power of God he could see. Just put water into those vessels, honey. Don't gather a few. Gather as many as you can. This sounds silly. This is just totally idiotic. Don't you dare start scoffing at the method. Just put the trust in the power of God that's in it. And the time that the oil stayed was only when she didn't have any other vessels for it to be poured into. Just reach into the fish's mouth. Peter, we got to pay our taxes and you'll pull forth a coin enough for me and thee. What it's meant, that sounds crazy. That's all right. But when God's in it, it's miraculous. Just give him a drink first. You'll give me a drink first. I'll give you a drink of living water and you'll that sounds outlandish who cares whenever that lady at there at the well was at a place of being dissatisfied with she is she says I'm willing to do anything I'm willing to go anywhere I'm willing to try anything because God is standing right here in front of me 
first principle of the whole situation is this. What gets us out of that satisfied, that complacent place is what God blesses us with. We must, everybody sing must. When we get out of that place, what God blesses us with, we must, everybody say must. Take it to someone else. They could have been very meager and silent about going into the city, finding the gold, and finding the spoils, and the food, for that matter. Very silent about all of that that was granted to them. They could have decided, you know, they're the ones that threw us out of the city anyway. <clears throat> and, you know, we, 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 we wouldn't have to give anything back to the folks, particularly those who have mistreated us. There's no sense in all of this. We could just keep this on the down the low, and we could hoard this. We could stockpile all of this. But what these men understood was this. I don't own anything. <clears throat> I don't own anything. They come to that realization. I don't own anything. I don't, we don't have two dimes. When we came here, we didn't have two dimes that we could rub together. And now it seemed like we're, we're, we're rich beyond our wildest dreams. We're our wildest beggar dreams. <laughs> we, we, you know, and here we are. We got more than what we could ever bargain for. But they understood this, that I don't own anything. But what has just been given to them, uh -huh. what's just been given to them is not theirs as in ownership of their own, but it came from someone else. All God did was honor them being dissatisfied with their, their satisfaction. So they enjoyed the feast. They filled up everything that they could fill up on. But they understood, man, I'm a beggar now that's just lavished with this great abundance. I don't have, my hunger has somehow been appeased. My desires have been met. I've tasted and I've handled for myself the very blessings of God. And all that did for them was to qualify them as a messenger to somebody else that has grown satisfied with where they are. All that qualified them for was to be a voice to somebody else trapped by complacency and let them know there's something more than you presently have. You'll stand with me this evening. The real, the real response or reaction, as it would seem, even in Scripture, you may misunderstand deliverance to a certain degree, but really what we often sometimes understand about, misunderstand about deliverance is that it will make us, or it should at least make us want to do something. The old-time religion that said it would, Make you love everybody. There's something about this thing called the Holy Ghost. The power that's associated with it. Once you have been fed with that bread from heaven. It should prompt you to want to tell somebody else. 
a beggar telling another beggar where they can find bread. That once you have drunk the water of life, it should impose upon us to want to tell somebody else where some of that refreshing, refreshing water flows. That once you have discovered that he'll place a glorious treasure in an earthen vessel, you want to somehow speak to somebody else. That he's no discriminator or respecter of earthen vessels, that he'll place the same treasure inside of you. And so in this life, it is contained and it is spoken to us that <clears throat> things we have, material things, to therewith be content. But that's not the voice, that's not the law when it comes to spiritual things. It's always hunger for more. Long for more. I press toward the mark. God, I'm thirsty. God, I'm hungry. If we can bow our heads here tonight. These altars are open. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's F-A-C-M-C. Thank you, and have a blessed day.